Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, It's good to be here this morning. Now, we've been in this series for a little while, but it's such an important principle. And we've been saying that we need to begin with the end in mind because you're going to end up and I'm going to end up somewhere in life. But the the question is, is it where we want to be? And we've been using this principle and hanging this whole series on this principle that says your direction Not your intention determines your destination. That you can have the best intentions in the world, but that's not necessarily going to get you where you want to go. You actually have to be moving in that direction. Now, we're going to, as we wrap up this series, we're going to take a little bit of a different look um, because there's some times in life when you think you've done everything right, you've began with the end in mind, you've, you've laid out the path, and you've even put milestones along the way, and uh, you've been working the, the plan relationally, spiritually, uh, vocationally, financially, but the unexpected happened. Right? Have you ever been there? When you have all these plans, and I, I thought I was supposed to be ba- married by now. I thought I was supposed to have gotten that promotion by now. I thought I was supposed to be uh, retired by now. I was supposed to have kids. I wasn't supposed to get cancer. That wasn't in the plan. Right? There, where something happens, um, you, you get knocked off your financial track. I was supposed to do all these things. But what do you do whenever life just takes a detour? What happens then? Because as Robert Burns said in his really famous poem, he says, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Isn't that true? Well, today we're going to read one of the great statements in the Old Testament, in the whole Bible. It's, it's from Jeremiah. And it's, it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Those are, those are some pretty great words, aren't they? We love hearing those words. They sound so nice. But the problem is, so many people take these words out of context. They're actually a lot more sobering than, than many people realize. And for now, I'll just say this. We, we all have plans. I have plans. You have plans. We all have plans. But, but he says, he doesn't say, for I know the plans you have for you. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, for I know the plans... I have for you. And in the Bible, God is always interrupting somebody's plans, right? Adam didn't, didn't plan on being created. Noah didn't plan on building an ark. Abraham didn't plan on being a father of a nation in his 90s. Moses didn't plan on having to defy Pharaoh. Uh, Mary certainly didn't plan on getting pregnant. So all of a sudden, Even though we lay out our plans carefully, things happen that are outside of our control and outside of our plans, and and we end up in a place that we never imagined we would be. Now, uh, before we get into this text, we're going to talk a a bit about history today, Um, give you a little bit of a history lesson, because you have to understand, and we have to understand what's happening around this passage and what the circumstances are around this passage. And in the ancient world, um, there, each nation kind of had its own gods, kind of like tribal gods. 
And the general understanding was the better your nation was doing at the time, the, the, if you were you know, winning wars, you were wealthy, the stronger your God was. And if, you're, if your nation wasn't all that strong, didn't have a whole lot of wealth, then your, your God was, was thought to be a weak God. And so Israel thought that the plan was, the, the direction they were going in, was that they would become the greatest nation on earth so that the God of Israel could be proven true and right and strong. That was, that was what they thought the plan was. But here's what happens. They enter into the promised land after getting uh, out of slavery in Egypt and wandering through the wilderness. And for a while, things seem to be going pretty well on this upward course. And there's a time of, of judges that are kind of ruling over the people of God. And then, then they finally get a king. And Israel only has three kings. There was Saul. And if you've never read the story of Saul, please go back to the Old Testament, open up your Bibles and read the story of Saul. It is fascinating, fascinating stuff. But Saul didn't work out so well for the Israelites, okay? And then there was David. And then after David was Solomon, the last king of Israel. And after Solomon, the kingdom actually splits, and so you have this northern kingdom and you have this southern kingdom. And there's different rulers. There's a lot of tension between these two kingdoms. And then Assyria comes in and just completely demolishes the northern kingdom. Like it ceases to exist. And so now the southern kingdom, it's called Judah, is all that's left of Israel. Of, and, and then actually another superpower comes uh, called Babylon, and it comes under the, the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. And that might sound familiar from some of the stories that we, that we know in the Old Testament. But all of those people that um, Nebuchadnezzar led into Jerusalem, they kind of demolished the southern kingdom too. All the walled cities of Judah were destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And, and not only that, but all the best and brightest, like the doctors, the lawyers, the landowners, all the smartest people were taken out of Jerusalem and forced to live in Babylon in exile. And so it wasn't, um, it wasn't the, the pretty path that the Israelites thought they were on. And this, this all fits into that principle of the path because um, the Israelites thought they were going to be this great nation. That was the plan, but they started worshiping other gods. They started disobeying the God of Israel, the one true God. And so no matter what their intentions were, they were never going to get to where they wanted to be. And so because of that, the Israelites are now living in a foreign land with a radically different uh, set of gods, little g, radically different values, radically different way of life. I mean, talk about a detour on the path. Nobody planned this future for Israel. Exile was, was the crisis, the, the biggest crisis by far in their history. It raised a lot of questions because it wasn't just about losing their home. It wasn't just about um, losing their dream and their plan. It started raising some really serious questions in the Israelites. Like, does this God of Israel even exist? Or was this just a myth the whole time? Or does, does he even care about us? I thought we were supposed to be God's people. Does he even care? And I find this interesting because when crisis hits us, I think we have very similar thoughts and very similar questions sometimes. And that's why we see uh, statements like in Psalm 137 referring back to this exile, 
says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion or Jerusalem. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. Well, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? See, that's the crisis. How can we proclaim that there is a God and that he's strong and that he's good when the plan has been shattered? Have you ever thought that? Then one day, a letter comes to the people that are in exile, the people that were taken forcibly out of Jerusalem and into Babylon. A letter comes from a man named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is a prophet in the southern kingdom. He's still in Jerusalem. And there's lots of questions that are swirling around about how do you live in exile now? How do you live whenever things didn't go our our way, the, the way we planned? What should we do? How should we relate to Babylon now? And it's in that kind of chaos that Jeremiah writes these words. We're going we're gonna to start in Jeremiah 29, verse 4, and read all the way through 11. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, you have to understand, Jeremiah is, is saying something very bold that nobody in this crowd really wants to hear. People were thinking really in two terms, uh, in two strategies as it, as it pertains to how do we live in exile. And it's kind of like Pastor Brian says sometimes, you got three options and none of them are good. Right? That's not a good place to be. See, the first option was what Babylon wanted. They wanted the Israelites to assimilate into their culture. See, Babylon was kind of gobbling up nation after nation after nation, and nations tend to kind of resent that sort of thing, and so they want to rebel. And so Babylon's answer to that was, well, let's bring them to Babylon. Let's let them enjoy the splendor and the glory that is Babylon and the wealth, and they'll, they'll take on our lifestyle. They'll start worshiping our gods. They'll enjoy being in Babylon, and if they, if they assimilate, then there's not going to be a problem. Right? They won't want to rebel anymore. And of course, if If Israel were to do this, this would be the easy strategy, but they would lose their identity. They would lose their purpose. They would lose their relationship with the God of Israel. And so it would be easy, but they would lose out on a lot. And so the other strategy, and this was a a very popular one amongst the Israelites. There was a a large party um, that said Israel should have nothing to do with Babylon. And that's what Jeremiah is referring to to in this passage of diviners lying to them. They said they would say things that really Israel just wanted to hear. 
oh, that, that little thing called the exile, that's not going to happen very long. You're, God's going to bring you right out of that real quick. It's not even going to be a hard thing. So, so you just don't have anything to do with the Babylonians. And they, they, they were saying, isolate yourself from the Babylonian culture completely. Just stand apart from them. And, but that would kind of fight against what Babylon wants. And I don't think that would have gone well for them either. But that was a very popular thing. And so it's pretty ugly for the Israelites in exile. It's pretty bad. But we know, just like today, we can look back and we know that even when things are that ugly, God has a way. Right? Because God is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. I mean, that's encouraging to me. Like in Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So they have these two terrible, terrible options. But then here comes Jeremiah's message. And this is, this is what he says again in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Now pause there for a second. Because when, when you read the Bible and you read the names of God in the Bible, they're not incidental. They're not accidental. They're there for a reason, right? There's a message here. The Lord Almighty, God has lost none of his strength even though your plans aren't working out, even though your plans here might not be working out the way you thought, God is almighty. He has not lost any of his strength. He says, the God of Israel. God is God over Israel, meaning he hasn't forgotten his promise to you. He hasn't forgotten, even though you think he has, even though you can't see what the plan looks like, he hasn't forgotten his promise to you. He is still almighty. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, this is, this is kind of odd because who do the Israelites think carried them out of Jerusalem and into exile, into Babylon? They think Nebuchadnezzar did that. They think the Babylons did that. Okay? But this passage is saying, well, God did that. God carried them out of there. See, this is, this is our first clue that God is actually up to something in the exile. He's up to something. He has a plan, even though the Israelites can't see it. And he says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat the produce. Marry off your sons and your daughters. In other words, you're going to be here for a while, right? Settle down. As a matter of fact, it says 70 years. For this generation who's hearing this message, you're going to live, you're going to grow old, and you're going to die in exile. You will never return. But you can handle it. You can handle it. Because what you need the most isn't just in Jerusalem. It's not just back in Jerusalem. Because I'm with you in exile. I'm always with you. I'll be with you in Babylon. So I want you to permeate the world that you find yourself in. I want you to be kind of that salt and light in a dark place. And he says, he gives three instructions. He says, build, plant, and marry. Now there's a reason he uses those three instructions. Because each one of them has a worship component to them. When you build a house in the Old Testament, when you, when you built a house, you were to bless it as an act of worship to God. And whenever you planted a garden, you were to give the first fruits of that garden to God as an act of worship. And when a couple marries, 
They're blessed before God as an act of worship. Okay? And so you can do these normal things that you would do in Jerusalem, in Babylon, because, because the God over Babylon is also the God over Jerusalem. He's, he's, he's there too. And so he's saying you can worship where you are. They just didn't know that yet. And so God is God wherever you find yourself today. He is still almighty. And he's saying, I want you to live in Babylon. I want you to live in that crisis. I want you to live in that exile with me, with God. Because when you're with somebody you love in exile, it's different. It's different. See, exile is different when you're with the one you love. When I, I guess this is kind of like an exile because when I moved from Pittsburgh to Texas, right? <laughs> So when I moved from Pittsburgh to Texas, I thought I was going to be really homesick. I was leaving my home. I was leaving my church family. I was leaving my neighborhood. I was leaving all of these things, my favorite Pittsburgh foods like pierogies and ham barbecue. Sounds weird, but it's delicious, right? I was leaving all these things, not to mention my my parents and my siblings and their families, I was leaving so much, and I thought I was going to be really, really homesick, but I was surprised at how quickly I was able to adapt to this culture and to this church family and all the things that we have here. And I think it would have been different if I came alone, but I didn't. I came with my wife and my kids, the ones I love the most on this earth. So one of the deepest lessons for us, when, when, when we look back to Israel's exile, is that we can learn to live life with God even when our plans fall apart, even when things seem shattered and we don't know what's going to happen, even when things don't turn out the way we planned. In other words, the one we're called to love above everyone else, the one who loves us more than anyone else, is always with us, even in exile, even in crisis. Listen to what Jesus had to say about this in the book of John. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home in them. Now, this is, this is a literal promise that Jesus is making. That's why we sometimes use the terminology that he has Jesus in his heart, or she has Jesus in her heart, right? Because he's promising to make, he wants to make his home in you. And the gospel message, the good news, includes the promise of the, of the Holy Spirit to anyone who believes in him for eternal life. It's a free gift of grace from Jesus that that the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home in you so that he's literally always, always with you. Okay, back. let's go back to the text. Jeremiah has already told people what they don't want to hear. Right? They're going to be in this exile for a long, long time. And look at what it comes next. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now picture this. Right? The, the crowd of exiles is gathering around, and the messenger unrolls the scroll from Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, I want you to pray to the God of Israel for the city of Babylon. Wait, what? You want me to do what? He's like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, and, and in case you uh, missed it, I also want you to pray for these people who ruined your lives. And not only that, but invest your time and energy and skills to, to, to bringing peace to the people who brought 
ruin to you. Bring, bring peace to the city that brought devastation to your city. Now, this is a pretty radical way of looking at engaging in culture and being present in culture. And there's some really big implications for us today in this, and this is a whole nother sermon uh, series probably. But God says to his people, I don't want you to assimilate into the culture where you find yourself. That's not what I want for you. Right? There, there, there's going to be some unhealthy uh, values, unhealthy lifestyles, unhealthy idols there. I don't want you to live like they live. That's not the plan. What I want for you is I want you to walk so closely with me. Don't get caught up with them. That would be the easy route. But then again, I don't want you to isolate yourselves from them either. I want you to permeate the culture. I want you to pray for them. Jeremiah uses these words. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city because when the, the city prospers, you too will prosper. And it's important to note that Jeremiah isn't a health and wealth preacher right now. He's not saying you do X, Y, or Z and things are going to go so well for you, go so easy for you. Remember, the people hearing this are going to live and grow old and die in exile. That's not what's happening. But he uses, for the word peace, he uses one of the greatest and most important words in the Old Testament, shalom. It means peace. Neil, Neil Planting writes this about, the, about it. He says, we call it shalom, peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Chuck Colson writes, he says, shalom, that's man at peace with God, his fellow human beings, and creation. And Marvin Alasky puts it this way. He says, shalom is about human flourishing. God's saying, I, I want you to engage in work, in business, in culture, the arts, technology, education, caring for the poor, living with your neighbors, how you deal with that, how you handle uh, finances. I want you to engage in culture in such a way where the Babylonians look at you and say, you know, it's a funny thing about those Israelites. I don't believe in their God. I don't, I don't really follow their way of thinking. I don't belong to their religion, but I'm sure glad they're here. Because our, our city would be a, a darker, poorer place without them. God had something going on. He had something going on that the Israelites couldn't see. They didn't have a master plan, just like you and I don't have the master plan today. And so God was guiding them through it. And as an aside, God, God has the same plan for us today in our little Babylon called Austin or Georgetown. So when you're at work or you're, you take a moment, a little extra time with a customer to really care for them, or when you, you go directly to a coworker to face an issue instead of gossiping, or, or you ask God to help you at work with, to work with a better attitude, you're bringing a little bit of shalom into the workplace. Right? It's breaking out, and Jesus is there. Now, when it's hard, whenever you're disappointed, whenever things aren't going your way, whenever you find yourself in a sort of exile, don't be surprised because exile is really the normal condition of humans now, right? We, we, we veered from the path. We took a major detour from the original design a long time ago, and it was the result of sin, right? And so maybe kind of like the Israelites for the Israelites needed to do in their exile. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't be seeking God to get us out of exile, but maybe we should be seeking God in our exile, right? God's doing something. 
He's up to something. You see, in in exile, Israel kind of died to its dream of being this great nation, just like all the other nations. It, It took exile for them to say, well, maybe that's not God's plan for us. But on the other side of that dead dream uh, came another one. Like, what, if the, what if the Israelites weren't all about big armies and wealth anymore? What if this kingdom that God was bringing was a different kind, a new kind, a spiritual kind of kingdom that was available to anybody, anywhere, anytime? Right? Some, some in Israel, some of the prophets began to dream about what that day might look like. Not, not that they would just be this great nation, but what if God could come and fix this whole broken planet? This whole broken system, if the earth was filled with the knowledge of the glory of God and that he's good, God was doing something on this detour, just like he might be doing something in our detours. He had a plan. And for the Israelites, uh, because of the exile, little communities spread all over the ancient world. And they, they, they were going to be there centuries later, centered around the synagogues. And a man named Paul would go from synagogue to synagogue so the whole world could hear about this man named Jesus who who knew a lot about exile himself. Uh, Coming from heaven to earth was kind of a voluntary exile for Jesus. And then whenever he was born, Herod tried to kill him. And so he lived much of his upbringing, early upbringing in exile from Egypt. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he, he lived in exile. He said, he said foxes have dens and, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus knew exile very, very well. And his final steps were to carry a cross outside the city, outside the gates of a city. Because by law, a crucifixion had to happen outside the gates to, to say that the, the person dying was dying rejected and was dying in exile. That's why it says in Hebrews 13 that Jesus suffered outside the gate to make the people holy through his own blood. And then one last step in exile, we know this, that on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he dies. And the dreams of his followers, the plans that they had, died with him. But then Jesus rises from the grave and provides a way for man to be reconciled with God, for man to to spend eternity with God together in a relationship. That, That was the plan. That was the plan the whole time. We can look all the way back to the exile, the the awful exile that the Israelites were in. And we can see that God had this plan in mind, mind even though no one else saw it. No one else saw that. No one one thought that was coming. God was always with with them. And his plan for them all the way through was do life with me. Live every moment with me. You you may not be able to see the whole plan right now. You might be angry that, that your plans didn't work out, that you're on this detour, you're in this exile for some reason. It might be hard. You may even be experiencing some suffering, but, but you can trust me. I'm with you right here. I'm with you right through the end. You might be in your own Babylon. You, might, you may have made your plans and, and life happened and you ended up off the path. It, it might be something financially or it might, might be a relationship. It might be a divorce. It might be loneliness or rejection or, or failure. It might, it might be shame. But sometimes we cling so hard to our own plans. Even, even after they die, we, we tend to cling to our own plans. But God's saying, I know the plans I have for you. 
They're, they're not your plans. They may not be easy. They're, they're probably not going to be pain-free. But they're his plans. They're better plans. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And so your challenge and my challenge, because I'm, I'm really speaking to myself as well, our challenge this week is to begin to acknowledge that, that you may not have all the answers. I may not have all the answers. My, I don't see the whole plan. Right? So acknowledge you may not have all the answers and then start, start leaning on the one who does, who does have the master plan, who does have the answers, who does uh, see it all. Your plans may not be the ultimate plans. Begin to trust that he's actually, literally, just like the promise he makes, he's with you. No matter you're here, things are going great, or you're in exile, you're in Babylon, and things are rough. He's with you all the time. So acknowledge you don't have all the answers. Lean in on the one who does. And begin to live every single moment with him. Because exile is different when you're with the one you love. Let's pray. God, um, we thank you this morning for, for the story of the Israelites that, that you led them and guided them through. And where you lead, you do guide. But God, we know there's a lot of people today hurting. There's a lot of people in crisis. There's a lot of people that may find themselves on a detour in life, and they don't even know how they got there. But God, we thank you that, that you promised to be with us through it all, that you're literally right there. And so, God, we, we, don't, we don't see the plan. We don't, we don't know all the things that you know. And so we need you. We need your peace. We need your, your strength. We need, we need all that you can offer as we walk through this world, as we walk through crisis, as we walk through exile. And, God, we thank you that, again, you promise to walk through that with us that you never leave us, you never forsake us, but you are a God of second and third and fourth chances. So God, this, this morning and this week, help us to acknowledge that. Help us to acknowledge our need of you. Help us to acknowledge that you have answers and that we can lean on you because you are so trustworthy, that you've proven yourself time and time and time again. And we can remember the Israelites and what they went through. And it may not be easy, we may not even see the end of it on this side of earth, but God, we have eternity with you. We thank you for that. We thank you for the promise and the grace that you give through your son. God, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.